0: Man, I'm so glad that you're here today. What a joy it is to worship with you guys, coming together to celebrate our risen Savior one with another. It is an exciting day of the week, is it not? Uh, and I hope that you've been encouraged by seeing Christ here in our presence as we've gathered around the Lord's table together, celebrated that feast, our resurrected Savior, lifted His name up in praise. We'll dig into the Word of God here in just a moment, uh, and we're just so glad that we, the family of God, have come together, as Jonathan mentioned in his comments, that uh, we are a family, and it's good to see See you on the first day of the week. We want to say also a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our fellowship this morning. Uh, we hope that you've seen Christ in our midst. Uh, our hope, of course, would be is if you are looking for a church home, and we'd love for you to be a part of our church family to help tell that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. We are gifted in many different ways, and we work every week for the cause of Christ to give Him glory and to tell that story to those who are desperately in need for peace in their life. For happiness and hope in their life. And we invite you into telling that story with us. Well, we are in the third week of a series called See Jesus. We want to uh, dig into the Word and be reminded that even in the chaos... Uh, even in the moments of life where it may look like we're alone, that indeed Jesus Christ is with us. We're going to be in John chapter 9 today, so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. All of our text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation uh, when we do get there. But if you recall, two weeks ago we we dug in and we talked about doubt in life, and that you and I have moments where we doubt if Jesus is even hearing us. Does he listen to our prayer? Does he know what's going on in my life? Uh, And hopefully in the story, it was put on your heart, revealed to you that indeed, Jesus is with us at all times, even in moments we can't see him. Uh, Last week, we talked about struggle in our life, and there is uh, things that are going on in our life, temptation that at times we cave into, chaos in our life at times, with friends and family, work, etc. And even in those moments, we know that Jesus Christ is present. He wants to be a part of our life, and we are not journeying alone. This morning, we're going to dig into the idea of questions, because I know in your life, you've got questions, just like I have questions in my own life, and you need answers sometimes to those questions. We don't see the whole picture, although we know that God does see that whole picture, and so in that moment, we want to know, does He have an answer for me, the one I'm looking for in my particular situation? Uh, many years ago, I heard a comedian talk about questions he has in his adult life, and I resonated with some of those. I wanted to share those with you today. Maybe you're with me in some of these questions. For instance, uh, how many here have ever eaten Jello? Raise your hand, Jell-O. Most of us, yeah, we all went to elementary school, so surely you ate Jello. It's one of those interesting food groups, isn't it? I mean, I mean you mix it up, you put it in the fridge, it... It uh, firms up, it turns into jello. And once it's jello, it's jello for life, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you get it out of the fridge, whatever. There are other things that you freeze or cool down, and, and you put it back on the counter, and it softens up, and things uh, go back to the way they were, but not jello. I've got questions about how that actually all works out. Uh, or what about the bungee jump? Anybody here ever bungee jumped? I will probably never do that. There's a brave soul, goodness. Lord have mercy on you. How about that first time, the first jump, how do they measure how long that cord really should be? I mean, you got Harry on the ground, you've got Charlie up high, there's a, a volunteer couple at the park, right, and they're up high, and, and he says, Charlie, let him go. <laughs> Shorten that rope up a little bit. I mean, how does that work, actually? How do they figure all that out? Or, or when the bus driver gets off the bus, who closes the door? Have you ever thought about that one? I mean, there are pressing questions that you and I have in our life, but today we're going to dig into some that have a little more substance, some questions that are a little more relevant to our spiritual walk, to our physical walk, where we are at in life, because if you're like me, there are moments you wrestle with a text in Scripture, and you go back and forth about what God is calling you to do in that text. You see another text that seems to maybe calling you to do something different, and you kind of put those against one another, and you begin to realize and think through, man, I've got questions. How does this play out in my life? What does this look like? I want to know. Or maybe at night you're watching the news and you see the chaos that happens in the world. You you, you see a family who is driven away from their home because of terrible things done by the leader of their country. We call them refugees. And you wonder, in that moment, does God see their plight? Is he journeying with them in that moment? You see kids in Africa who are dying because they don't have enough to eat or enough to drink. And you wonder in that moment, I wonder if God understands them. Does he hear their prayer? Does he understand what's going on in their life right now while you and I throw away the scraps from our own dinner that we ate? There are moments in our life where we have questions and we long to know and understand Whether or not God sees where I'm at in life and does he hear my prayer? Does he hear what I'm dealing with in life? Will he come alongside me? Can he give me an answer? Can you see God in that moment? And what we want to unpack today is a statement that Andy Stanley said once. When he said, you know, you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. This morning, I want us to dig into the idea that we may not be able to see God's big picture, but in the process, you and I can believe in Jesus Christ, that he's in the mix with us, that we can believe that God hears where we're at in life, even in our grief, in our sorrow, in our struggle, in our doubt, that God hears and sees us. So let's dig into our text, John chapter 9 and beginning verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, I spoke last week a little bit about vision and acuity, and that you and I probably, for the most part, we, we share in the, uh, the vision deficit, if you will. Some of us wear contacts, glasses, some of us need reading glasses. I've got another favorite comedian, Brian Regan. He said, a friend came by to pick him up from the house one day. The guy got out of the car. He didn't realize his friend wore glasses, but when he got out of the car, he took the glasses off. And Brian said, What's going on there? And he goes, Oh, the doctor said I just need him for driving. And Brian said, Why don't you just get a prescription windshield? Maybe that would fix everything. You don't need to wear the glasses. There are moments where you and I need to fix some of our vision. But understand, the main character in our story, other than Jesus, he has not seen anything since birth. He's never seen a sunrise. He's never seen beautiful flowers. He's never seen his beautiful mom or his hardworking dad. He's never seen Coach Gundy's mullet. I mean, he's missing out in life. (laughs) There are some things that he's never seen because he was born blind. Verse 2, so the disciples have a question. Rabbi, his disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? And what we need to understand in Jewish culture is that every single person, these guys would have known this from a very small child, that if something's going wrong in life, that's probably God trying to get their attention. They're getting some uh, penalty for sin, something they've done wrong. So somebody maybe couldn't walk, or maybe their hand didn't work correctly, or maybe they were blind, or maybe they lost their entire flock of sheep, or their house burned down. And in those moments, the Jewish culture would look at that and say, oh, God is giving them a little bit of judgment. He's trying to get their attention. They've got a penalty for the sin going on in their life. But the truth is, for many of us in our heart of hearts, right, we, we do that at times too, don't we? I mean, we may never verbally say it. We may hold it within ourselves. But somebody's battling cancer, and you know the life that they used to live long ago, and you're thinking to yourself, God's trying to get their attention. Or maybe they they lose a job and they just can't make ends meet financially. They continue to look for that job and you're thinking within your heart of hearts, oh, they're getting their up and comings. They, They didn't do everything they should have and so God's trying to get yet their attention again. See, this guy was born blind, but it had nothing to do with his sin. I mean, Check out number verse number 3. Jesus says, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Are you kidding me? This guy has been blind since birth. He's been begging on the street for who knows how long. And Jesus says, This guy is blind so that God can be glorified. That seems a little bit out of sync, doesn't it? It seems a little bit different than maybe you and I would have thought through that. But he has this issue so that God could be lifted up. And what we discover in our story, and we'll continue as we unpack the story, is this idea. See, in God's economy, what you and I call setbacks are really set-ups for God to be glorified. In moments where you and I, in the middle of our story, and things aren't going right, we call that a setback, but God says, I'm setting that up in order for my name to be glorified, for the world to see who I am. Amen. And even in the middle of what's going on in your life, know that God is walking with you because he's ready to take your setback and turn it into a set up for him. Uh, take out... This guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. Way back, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, about chapter 37 through 50 is the story of his life. See, this guy named Joseph had 11 other brothers, except Joseph was dad's favorite. And the other guys, the other brothers, hated that about him. They despised Joseph. And one day, dad sends Joseph out to see where the brothers are, how they're doing, take them a little food as they tended the sheep and the goats out in the wilderness, and they see Joseph coming from a long ways off, and they say, let's kill Joseph. Let's just get rid of him. And the older heads in the group prevailed, and they said, let's not go that far. Let's just sell him as a slave like that's any better. But anyway, let's just sell him. So he shows up, sure enough, strip the, the robe off of him, the clothes off of him, and they sell him to a caravan going to Egypt. Okay, set back, right? He gets to Egypt. He's bought by a nobleman by the name of Potiphar. He works in Potiphar's house, and pretty much everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. Potiphar loves what Joseph is doing in his home, and Potiphar's wife loves Joseph too. She makes some sexual advances to Joseph, but Joseph says, that's not in God's plan. That's not what he wants me to do. That's not the person he's called me to be. And so, turn around, the wife accuses Joseph falsely, Potiphar is thrown into prison for two years, set back again. While in prison, he begins to interpret dreams of some of the prisoners that are in there. Two of those guys have come from the king of Egypt's court, Pharaoh's court. They're having dreams. They don't know how to to interpret those, and so Joseph does that for them. They both get out of prison. One is killed. One goes back to work for Pharaoh. While in Pharaoh's court, Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, doesn't know the meaning of it. He has it over and over again until finally the guy that was a prisoner with Joseph says, hey, I know a guy. He interpreted my dream. He probably can do yours too. And so they get him out of prison. The king of Egypt shows him his dream, tells him his dream. Joseph tells what's going to happen. And so over time, they build up their stores over a seven-year period because there's a famine coming that's going to affect the entire region. And Pharaoh promotes Joseph to number two in the entire nation. He answers only to Pharaoh. Well, the famine went as far as Joseph's family, remember the 11 brothers? They now have to come to Egypt, and now they're standing in the very same room as their brother, begging for food. And in the moment, Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Set back, turns into a set up so that God can be glorified in the moment, right? You you think about David, a young shepherd boy. He's going to be the second king in all of Israel right after Saul. They bring him in. He's the youngest of the family of Jesse In 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel, it says, this is the one, the oldest guy. No, goes right down the line. Do you have any other kids? Yeah, there's little David. He's out taking care of the sheep. Bring him in. He comes in, and God says to Samuel, that's the one that's going to be the next king. So Samuel prays over him, lays hands on him, anoints him with oil. You will be the next king. Oh, by the way, you need to go back to daddy's house and tend the sheep for a while. Set back in the moment, but it's a set up so that David will become everything that God wants him to be later. Or you take, in the New Testament, the four Gospels, a guy by the name of Jesus, maybe you've heard of him, His God incarnate, he comes down, he walks among us for about 33 years until finally he's falsely accused, kangaroo court. He gets beat within an inch of his life, finally nailed to a cross. The Son of God is dead, set back in the story. But you know what? It's a set up to glorify God at a later date. You see, God works in our lives in ways that we never could imagine because we don't see the whole picture. He takes our set back and he says, hang on, if you will. I'm walking with you, I'm journeying with you because I'm creating a moment where I will be glorified later down the line. Sometimes things are foggy, sometimes we only know in part, but God knows fully. His ways are higher than my ways. And the dream he has for me is far greater than any dream I could have for myself. He wants to bless us in so many ways. But then Jesus does something interesting in verse 6. Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud all over the blind man's eyes. A little strange. Think about modern times. Teachers out on the playground, elementary school, a kid has a small abrasion. Teacher spits on the ground, mixes some mud up, rubs it on the kid. Somebody just lost a job, right? <laughs> Ain't going to happen. You're on the news. There's some lawsuits involved. But Jesus, see, he's in the middle of the story, but the blind man doesn't know it. He's going to change this man's life. And so in verse 7, Jesus told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Wow. The King of Kings has spoken. I mean, the only thing he knows is that there's a guy by the name of Jesus who put some mud on my eyes, and now I can see. He doesn't even go back to Jesus. He runs home to see mom and dad. He runs home to see those neighbors that have seen him go in and out every single day, begging on the street. And he runs home because now he can see how to travel. And he gets home, and the neighborhood cannot believe it. He's so excited, mom and dad. You are not going to believe this. Verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? I mean, our beggar is wanting a party. And the only thing that can happen at his house are people in disbelief and who need an explanation. They want to know the answer in every nook and cranny of what is going on in this situation. He, he wants a cake and some hats and some party favors. And all the neighbors can do is say, wait, are you the, are you the same guy? I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. And then a little more of the, the story is revealed in verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to see the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Okay, we're going to take this guy, this guy that used to be blind, to the people who have all the answers, the people who know Scripture left and right, the people who have everything figured out in life. We're going to take our guy in front of them and get a solution to this. But what we find out is that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you can't do anything on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. You can't work. Now, you and I hear the word work, and we think about clocking in or scanning the name badge. We think about maybe moving some boxes or, or uh, serving up some fries, whatever it may be at your particular location. That's how we think of work. But Jews think of it differently. You see, that word work is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when it talks about God and creation. God ceased from creation. And so the Jewish culture said, then we can't do anything that's creative, nothing that would create. And it kind of fell into four categories. One would be bread. You can't do anything farming-wise. I can't plant. I can't harvest. I can't thresh. I can't cook. I can't bake. And the list goes on. It also had to do with with clothing. I can't shear sheep. I can't make thread or yarn. I can't sew fabric. I can't tie or untie something that's already tied or untied on the Sabbath. I can't construct anything. So that demo wall that needed to happen on this particular weekend is not going to happen on Saturday. That's work. I can't fix the window. I can't replace the brick. I can't add on to my house. I can't even write a document because that's constructing something. That's creating a document. You might have to erase something as well. That's a big no-no. And so what we see happens for Jesus is in the moment, on the Sabbath, Jesus creates sight. You see, he's created something. And that's a big no-no. We can't do that According to the rules. Verse 15. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Can you imagine what's going on in this guy's mind right now? He's been dragged all over town, he's been questioned to the nth degree, and he's trying to celebrate the fact that he can see. He says, I was washed, and I couldn't see for 32 years, 19 years, 25 years. We don't know how long this guy had lived in the blind spot, so to speak. Some things we don't understand in life are yet undeniable, aren't they? There are things that happen in our life that we can't explain. We don't have all the answers to those, but yet they're undeniable. Look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God. These are the guys that have all the answers, remember? For he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. They couldn't understand what was going on in the situation, so they made a decision not to believe. I'm just not going to believe because I can't see everything that should be going on in this scenario. I mean, this man can't be from God. We've never experienced anything like this before. So it can't be a part of God's plan. But you and I do that in our life too, don't we? I mean, you and I have a box that we keep God in, right? We've set up some parameters and some principles, and if God, in our mind, gets outside of those, it can't be from God. It can't be what God is about. I mean, I could open this lid and show you my God, but he might get out, so we're not going to do that. I'm just going to keep Him right here. In our own life, we, we look at other scenarios and we wonder, how can God be a part of that? How could God use that person in that ministry? How could he use that church to do this thing over here? Surely God doesn't use that translation of the Bible. The list goes on and on of the things that we put God in our box. And if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the greatness that God has to offer us in our life because we're so worried about how things are playing out in our life. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that God's not doing something. I'll summarize verses 18 through 23 because the Pharisees are beside themselves. They don't have the answers. They're a little embarrassed. They don't know exactly what to do. And so what they end up doing in the synagogue is they call in uh, the guy's parents. And they begin to ask them what's going on in the situation. Now understand the parents are going to be terrified of the guys that are standing in front of them. They are the religious uh, leaders of their day in their particular town, in their location. And so they're going to concede to whatever they say. And the Pharisees are saying, what exactly happened here? What's going on? This is your son, is it not? And they go back and forth until finally the parents say, look, the guy is old enough. He is an adult. You need to ask him. He was the one that was there when Jesus put the mud on his eyes. Don't ask us. Ask him. And in verse 24. So for the second time. They called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I can't explain it, so it can't be from God. I can't put my head around it, so it can't be from God. Jesus, what he did is outside our understanding, outside my box. So there's no way that God could be a part of what he did here today. And the man comes back in verse 25 and he says, I don't know whether he is a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. I don't know if he's God. I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't know if he's a great rabbi and teacher. I don't know who this guy is. I only know that he touched me and now I now I can see. I only know that whatever he did to me, changed my life forever 30 minutes ago I couldn't see Jesus touched my life and now I'm radically different I'm a changed person and you and I in our life we have doubts and we have struggles we have I don't knows we have I wish things had turned out differently we have those moments in our life But there are the undeniables, although we may not can explain everything, right? There are things that happen in our life that maybe we can't get our head totally wrapped around it, but we trust that God is in the mix. There are some undeniable things in life. You're sitting there this morning. You are undeniable. You're a physical human being. We know that cows make good dinner. That's undeniable. Vegetables. Along with that, make good dinner. We know that the sun hangs in the center of our galaxy. We know that the earth is placed at such the right interval from the sun that it warms us. We're not too far away that we we freeze or too close that we burn up. There are things that are undeniable in our life. And so you and I this morning have two options. One is... There is a creator who loves you. The other is everything came from nothing. I mean, think about sunsets and sunrises, the relationships you have in your own life, how God smiles upon you and pours into your life, even in the struggle, even in the doubt, even in the heartache. He still journeys and walks with you. And it is undeniable that Jesus Christ changed my life personally. I cannot move away from that. Jesus touched my life, and I too was changed. How about you? Has he done something different for you in your life? See, I don't have to understand everything in order to believe in Jesus Christ. I don't have to have all the answers to know that I've got a God who loves me. I don't have to have every single thing underlined and highlighted in order for me to know that Jesus Christ hears my prayer, he hears my plea, and he journeys with me every single day of my life. But there are people out there that will debate, God is, God was, he did this, he may not have. But the blind man reveals truth. I was blind, and now I see. That's the only undeniable that I have in this equation. But then Jesus hears what's going on with our friend, the ex-blind man, in verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers to fall down and worship Jesus. He's in your life. I mean, the next time that you pray and maybe everything doesn't work out like you had hoped it was, remember, it could be a setback preparing you for a set-up to glorify God. Remember when you watch the news and you wonder where is God and all the chaos in our world, understand that it's more than likely a setback in order for a set-up to glorify God. Know that when chaos happens in your life personally, when things don't work out like you had hoped, that it's simply a setback so that God can be set up and His name be glorified in the world in which we live. Jesus Christ rules this day, does He not? I am so excited and blessed to serve a risen Savior. How about you? I am so excited to walk with the one who walks with me and blesses me every single day of my life, whether I see that or not. And like the blind man, all I know is at one time I could not see, but Jesus' touch cured me of that. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And my hope is that you will see and have seen Jesus working in your life, that you will realize incredible things that the Spirit wants to do in and through you, even in your setbacks. It's a moment where God is setting up his name to be glorified. Now our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room during the singing of this song. I want to encourage you to go seek one of them out. Let them pray for you, pray over you, lay hands on you. Let them hear your story. Maybe there's something that's keeping you at a distance from this great man, Jesus the Christ. Don't let that space exist anymore. Start today by believing in him, by being baptized into his name. Change your life because he's ready to walk with you and change everything that you've ever known And open your eyes to a glory that only God has prepared for you. Let's stand and sing together.